I'm Lara Land, somatic coach and yoga teacher trainer, and this is the Beyond Trauma podcast. What a couple of years we have had. The challenges continue to grow, and more and more of us are experiencing some level of traumatic stress. My commitment here is to bring you the most up-to-date insights on exactly how trauma affects our mind-body-spirit system and how we can work with our bodies to soften its impacts. You will be hearing from trauma survivors and researchers, and together, we are going to incorporate what they have to teach us to heal ourselves and promote the well-being of all those around us. Here we go. I am so excited to share that my book, The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga, comes out this spring. This is the book for every yoga teacher, studio, and practitioner who wants to incorporate an inclusive approach to yoga. It is available for purchase on my website, laraland.us, and everywhere books are sold. If you're loving this podcast, you are going to love this book. Hello, everyone, and welcome back on this very exciting day. May 1st, the day before publication day. Publication day for the essential guide of trauma sensitive yoga. And I hope you have pre ordered your copy. This is it. This is the last and final chance to get all my great bonuses, including a trauma sensitive body scan, two additional yoga sequences, and get invited to my private QA. Zoom session, please get a copy. If you're listening to this, you will definitely be benefiting from the information in there. 25 plus years of research, investigation, and knowledge compiled in your go to manual, go to manual, margins on the sides, places to write, circle, outline, just a lot of, a lot of good information in there. So I hope you'll pick up a copy in honor of this very exciting time, I have someone on for you today, Timothy Lewis, who is featured in the book, his yoga sequences and story, and his story of working with my nonprofit, Three and a Half Acres Yoga, getting trained in trauma-sensitive yoga, how that has personally impacted his life. In the book is a very, very precious story that he shares about sharing yoga with his mom, which you'll have to get the book to um, get the inside scoop on. But uh, here in this interview, Timothy shares his story, his evolution. He's still evolving and I'm sure always will be. He's really a seeker. He's a teacher for us at Three and a Half Acres Yoga. He was a student at my yoga studio, Land Yoga. Just a great human being who I love being in space with and sharing knowledge with. Uh, Timothy is a Jay Shetty certified mindfulness coach and educator at heart with over 20 years of dynamic experience honoring unique individuality and nurturing innate curiosity. He's an avid researcher of epigenetics, human psychology, and the new human biology. He allows a love for learning and growth to fuel his zest for life. can definitely attest to that. Timothy is a 200-hour ROIT with training in the foundations of yin and trauma-sensitive yoga. Timothy teaches 
An everyday mindfulness and meditation course works with individuals and groups looking to explore how mindfulness can neutralize effects of stress in modern living and offers embodied movement classes, including yoga and capoeira. Timothy shares some mindfulness techniques in this episode. He enjoys training and teaching travel and exploring the contrast of being deeply drawn to nature while embracing the hustle and bustle of New York City. And you can follow Timothy Lewis on Mindfulness with Timothy, his really fun, sweet Instagram. So take a listen. I think you'll get some insight into Timothy and his evolution, our work together at Land Yoga, Three and a Half Acres Yoga, and why this work is so important to us. And thank you for your support. There we go. Hi, Tim. Hello. Hello. How are you? Actually, I've known you for so long, and yet I don't know if you prefer Tim or Timothy. <laughs> so it's funny because now I am going more by Timothy. In the past, I really didn't have a preference. It was just Tim. That's so funny because I was always calling you Timothy and writing Timothy. And then I saw Tim in some of your emails. I'm like, oh, no, I've been doing it wrong. That's the <laughs> <picture> of Timothy. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, good. Because it's important that we. Um address people how they prefer. And you know, for a long time, I didn't have a relationship with the name Timothy because no one called me that when I was growing up or all through school. We get nicknames, of course, but I had always been Tim. And it was at one point I was, I forget where I was, but you know, one of these novelty stores where they have keychains or little trinkets with names on them and then what they mean. And I saw what my name meant. And that was a really interesting moment for me. Well, now you you have to tell us. (laughs) So the name Timothy means to honor God. And it was, I mean, it's been a part of my own personal development, but especially in the last couple of years, as I had this reflection that no one calls me Timothy and I don't refer to myself as Timothy and I don't introduce myself as Timothy. And then it was like this realization, looking through this space of alignment and seeing the potential to align more with the meaning of my name. And so I'm I'm intentional now about introducing myself as Timothy. Over time, if someone calls me Tim, I'm not offended, but I speak my name more as a reminder to myself. That's beautiful. And it sounds very much in alignment with this journey that you've been on the whole time that I've known you and probably started before and that I'm really um eager and excited to learn more about and where you are today. So maybe we can we can start with how we met a very special New Year's Eve. Yes. What brought you into my yoga studio that night? I've always held space for New Year's Eve. I grew up religious and there was kind of this tradition of having a watch night service to bring in the new year. So I've always done, you know, something sort of ritualistic. And of course, there's that period of time where, you know, you party for New Year's and that got really old to me. And so being at that time, I was still relatively new to, to New York City. And so looking for new ways to, to spend the new year. By that time, I'd already taken like a couple yoga classes, but I didn't have a, a regular practice. And I had never brought in in the new year 
doing yoga or meditating or anything like that. And so it just, it sounded super, super exciting. Like I said, by this time I had a couple practices under my belt already and I heard of Ashtanga yoga, but I didn't know what it was. So I spent months probably just souring through websites of Ashtanga studios and Land Yoga was the closest. And not only was it the closest, but there was also this New Year's Eve candlelight yoga. So I'm like, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Those were, uh, I loved giving that event. And so many people would come every year that, you know, and only come that night to really reflect and release in the darkness of the candlelight and the fire. And just a really special practice that we had there. Always chanting ohm into the new year when everyone else, like you said, was outside partying and screaming. We were in our own sacred space. But then what was, you know, be interesting is a lot of people that they would just come for that one, that one evening out of the whole year, you know, kind of like the people who I guess go to mass on Christmas or something, or, you know, in in Judaism who go to like Yom Kippur service (laughs) and then you don't see them for another year. But then you started coming daily and you were really practicing Ashtanga yoga with me early in the mornings before teaching at a school, right? Yes. So during that yoga class, the internal conversations that we all have with ourselves, (laughs) and one for me is really strong around being moved to do something. And so when I feel a certain degree of certainty within myself, it's like I can't deny that. And I remember that first candlelight yoga class. And I had this sort of internal conversation going on with myself. And I said, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, then I'm going to do this thing. And the very end, there was like just an offer that I couldn't deny. It was like, okay, if you sign up for a month of yoga, then you'll get a free month. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) I'm like, that's it. That's the one. (laughs) And, And it was so much of what I needed, so much more than I realized at the time, because, you know, I didn't necessarily sign up to like, I didn't know anything about, or I didn't know a great detail about, you know, all the different series and different postures. And it's like, I didn't want any of that. It's, I wanted what I felt from the time that I did that candlelight class. Mm, Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily a striving for a certain level of perfection, although I did have some hesitation around not being able to, or feeling like I couldn't commit in the way that, you know, the the method prescribes, you know, five days a week and early in the morning. And so if I, when I saw that, oh, I can't start this week, and then I would delay another week, and then I would delay another week, the perfect timing happened for me because we were on February break from school. And that's what helped me to really step into the practice. And that week helped me to establish a strong foundation for being able to, to, like you said, come in the mornings before work. I remember that, Timothy, that I think I remember telling you, you don't have to wait for the perfect time and, you know, come and do as little, you know, as much as you can. And that I know you were looking for that window, at least in the beginning, to kind of build that strong foundation. And I, un- I understand that. And I'm wondering, uh, so you were 
You were looking for a certain feeling that you got that night. Was that something that you had been seeking out before? I think I seek it in many ways. And the best way that I can describe it is just like this zest for life. I get um, this sensation of, of what it means to be alive and to have experience. And to have a felt experience of that is, it's really incredible. So I would say that, that I've, yes, I've, I've sought it out before and I've come to be really familiar with it when it happens. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you can share some of the practices because I know you have quite a number of them that that you use in your life to come towards that feeling that you're describing. Yeah. So one of the ones that really stand out for me and started really early um, is journaling. I started journaling when I was young, like maybe 11 or 12 years old. And at that time, and especially in the, the space that I grew up in, you know, it wasn't journaling, it was a diary and only girls did it. Mm. <laughs> so, um, you know, and it was the the model of diary that had the lock on it and, you know, girls would have sleepovers and they would <laughs> sit mm. and they would write Dear Diary and all that fun stuff. But there was something about just putting pen to paper that was attractive to me. And so I started a journaling practice and really it started as just a kind of a recollection of either thoughts or, you know, the day that I would have. And it has definitely, definitely grown. But journaling for me is is one that feels like I can just put things out and it goes into a space where nobody has to fix it. Nobody has to see it but it also doesn't have to to live within me. Mm. I remember there was a time, so this is later in, a, in adulthood now, but I would journal as I was traveling because I remember having this feeling, this thought of being so like in love with whatever was happening and not wanting to forget it. So I would write down, you know, where I was, uh, what I was feeling, the sights I would see or just whatever it was, if I was on a bus or on a plane or so journaling for me is, is one that really helps me to be in better relationship with my thoughts, my emotions. And it started really early for me. I guess a lot of people would love to learn about how to keep up. I mean, that's a long time to have a journaling practice. I know a lot of my students, they, they want to journal. Um, I'm curious, is it a daily practice for you? Is there a certain time that you journal? Do you use any prompts? What are some of your journal tricks that you could share with us? Yeah, it goes through like an ebb and flow <laughs> and, it, and it changes. There are definitely periods in my life where it is a daily and committed practice. Sometimes, you know, that might be, for example, my first year teaching in New York City was really, really challenging. and. I was introduced to this practice, Morning Pages, mm -hmm. whose whole idea is to first thing in the morning, free writing, three pages of just whatever comes out. And so my, like I said, my first year teaching in New York City was really, really challenging. And as I was introduced to this practice, what I find, what I found over time is that many of my concerns for what might come up during the day I could release them on the paper. Mm. So during that time, yes, it was a daily practice. And, you know, I was 
journaling every single morning, probably for, you know, six to nine months. At that time, there are times where, you know, I take a contemplative question that I have and I journal about it. So again, just modeling it for what works for me, because I can appreciate, you know, prescribed methods and also recognize where there's a level of individuality that is a greater expression for me. So sometimes it's questions, sometimes it's a daily practice, sometimes it's, you know, making a list of things. Sometimes, for example, you know, I would consider even writing a to-do list in some ways as can be journaling. Oh, I um, love that. You know, <laughs> yes. There's a lot of possibility of what it can be versus what we automatically think it is. And so for a person that is interested, and this is some of the work, for example, that I do around like mindfulness coaching is to see what's possible for you, not what the word necessarily brings up, but what's possible for you. Mm. Yes. Yes. That's such great advice. I mean, I think there's enough stuff out there do it this time, keep the pen on the paper for three pages, you know, gratitude journaling, this journaling. If you get yourself stuck in like which method or one dogma, it's limiting, although it can be good to practice one way for a little while and see what what arises. And uh, eventually it's making, creating a practice that works for you. And as I know, you know, it's, that's also constantly changing. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I I love how you shared that you're you're doing some coaching. I want to like take us on this journey. So at that time that you were at the yoga studio practicing Ashtanga, you were a teacher, and and I can imagine as you expressed how just absolutely tough that job is in New York City. Yeah, it. I mean. <laughs> I had very little familiarity with New York City in general. I had big eyes for the city. That's really what brought me to New York City. But I always say that, you know, a deeper purpose is what took me into the classroom. And so for all of the challenges that it presents, yeah, it's really challenging. I mean, most times being in a classroom of of 34 students, all with unique, different learning backgrounds the need for different accommodations uh, is really challenging. And, you know, we bring ourselves into that space also. So, yeah, I didn't grow up, for example, wanting to be a teacher. So I didn't really pay attention to how I was taught or what I experienced in school from that lens. So it was really a fresh start for me. I remember getting my classroom keys (laughs) Mm. and the principal hand me the classroom keys. I go into the classroom and it's just all of this space and stuff everywhere. And they're like, okay, you have the entire day to set up your classroom. And I'm like, set up my classroom. What does that mean? <laughs> like, I don't, what goes on the wall? How are the seats arranged? What's this corner going to be for? And and so there's so many considerations just setting up a classroom, for mm-hmm. example. And that's mm-hmm. not even getting into, oh, students are coming tomorrow and they're yeah. going to where? And we're going to do what with them? <laughs> So it was like, here are your keys. Good luck. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm so glad you pointed that out because it's one of the places we start when we're training yoga teachers in trauma sensitivity is mm. to start rethinking how the room is set up. Does it have to be this, this way and why and what considerations you might take into setting up the room in a way that is more sensitive to the needs of who's walking in there? And it's something that 
sometimes people just skip right over if it's not brought to their attention. Absolutely. Setting is deeply important because as you said, a corner turns into a whole new world depending on what you put there. For sure. Yes. In the educational setting. So yeah, so you're you're teaching in New York City, wow, and of course, overwhelming and you're journaling to help process that. You start coming into yoga and what starts changing? Because I know, I mean, the last time you and I had a really kind of, I feel like a deeper, longer conversation, you were deciding to make some big changes. First, you were trying to make some changes within Yes. Within the <laughs> academia, and maybe you can share a little of you know, what you were trying, maybe changing the way that you're teaching science, and, and then you decided that it was time to say goodbye. Yeah, so starting with the changes that I noticed from practice and what helped me to really commit to, to that time period, because you know it turned into me dreading the morning because I was not a morning person. Um, to being excited when my alarm clock went off, even on the days that I didn't feel like waking up, I was excited because I knew that first of all, the the morning in New York City at you know five o'clock felt really sacred yeah. because that was just a period of time where it was silent, and I mean like really really silent and dark. <laughs> mm. So. To wake up, have that opportunity to wake up and literally just take that time for for myself. And it was for me, it was profound because, you know, I I didn't live really close to to the studio. I had to commute. And so even the the walk from my apartment and getting on the train, like all of that felt very, very sacred. And there was a sense of, of stillness. So one of the first things that I noticed with continued practice is that the way I showed up in the school space. So very similar, honestly, now that I think about it, to the way that those morning pages really helped me to kind of gain a sense of clarity and dump things out. If I had thoughts, concerns, anxieties about what the day would bring, there was this profound shift that could happen before I hit the door. I would kind of be in this space of yoga bliss, if you will, <laughs> from the time that I left from the time that I left the studio. And it allowed me to hit the front door completely different. And so it was almost a signature that I walked into the building every single morning and I didn't care who was there. And I would always walk in the building. I would say, good morning. Wow. <laughs> Just because and part of it was that it made me feel better. But it also, like I said, really set the tone for for how I was entering that space. So that was one of the first things that I really started to notice is that it empowered me to show up in a different way. And as I showed up to the front door differently, that really, really translated to how I arrived and to show up for students. Because listen, in those first couple of years, you give me, I'm going to use in air quotes, a break <laughs> because that was either lunch or prep. And if someone walked in the door, it was like automatically dismissed. No way. I do not have time. But as I started to practice more, I was able to like, you know, sometimes just take a pause and see what that person wanted. And nine times out of 10, I was always, always happy to be able to hold space. So there were like these 
I'll call them subtle, but they were actually quite profound changes that that really compounded over time. I mean, yeah, that's really profound that that practicing yoga, you know, but some of my people might not realize that that could just change how you react when someone walks in and you're in the middle of something. You know, that's really big. Mm -hmm. All those moments make up our day and make up our relationships. Yes. Yeah. And who we are. Absolutely. Who we are. I was going to say another thing that that I really noticed, and this is not, well, it is kind of related to the workspace, but like I was mentioning about the gaining an appreciation for mornings, I started to notice how certain things impacted me. So for example, staying up late was not very conducive to trying to maintain uh, an Ashtanga yoga practice, not only from the sense of actually getting there, but I felt very different in my body if I didn't sleep well. And then I started to notice things like sugar, how much sugar I would consume in a day would make me feel a certain way during the practice. And so there were all of these, you know, sort of seemingly disconnected pieces that that really came together for me. Yeah, your awareness started really growing indeed, and getting more subtle. Is that when you decided to take on mindfulness as well, learning about mindfulness? Or how did that kind of move into your sphere? I feel like it kind of caught up with me, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Because there are so many aspects of, again, what mindfulness is not limited to, you know, certain practices. So for example, I've always said that I'm just a naturally curious person. For as long as I can remember, I gravitate towards questions more so than having definite answers. I find a lot of information by way of being curious, but, you know, that's one of the principal ideas of mindfulness is, you know, to be curious. And so, Mindfulness practices or more intentional mindfulness practices, I feel like really kind of caught up with some aspects of who I am innately. And so, yeah, for me, some aspects of of mindfulness have, have been there for a long time, but practices like yoga definitely help to add a level of depth to it. And did you... When you started realizing, oh, mindfulness is something natural to me and in my life, and now I'm paying more attention to it, did you read any certain books or take on any um, mindfulness teachers or trainings? Yeah. One of the first sort of experiences or really the earliest recollection of the word mindfulness or mindful in that way, I think it was in 2017, I saw on the subway. I saw a poster for a talk that John Kabat-Zinn was doing at the Lincoln Center. And again, this was one of those moments where I see something, it moves me to a certain you know, degree, and I say, I'm doing it. And so I went to that talk. At that point, I hadn't read any of his work. I literally just saw the, the poster, went on the website and read the description. And so that was one of the, the earliest uh, sort of introductions that I had. Straight to, from the dude. <laughs> straight, from the dude straight from the dude. And did you do the, Timo's program as well? I did. I did. did. Yep. So that's my husband did a, taught a six week, uh, is it six or eight week, the eight week um, MBSR? MBSR, yeah. 
Wow. And so, and so, like I said, the that thirst for information, a, a certain level of thirst of of knowledge, is something that that really drives me. And so, once I was introduced to it, you know, doing courses, the MBSR, and doing courses even at Land of of Yoga Philosophy, and wanting to go deeper. And this was prior to actually doing 200-hour certification. Wow. Another really profound experience that I had, again, seeing a subway posting, <laughs> was <laughs> there was a, a talk being given by Satguru. And this was at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> this was so outside of anything that I knew. And I had no idea what I was signing up for, to be honest. I saw the start time. And I'm thinking, you know, oh, it'll be kind of your typical hour, hour and a half. This thing was like six hours long. And like I was in it, but I enjoyed it so much. Such a profound experience. Wow. So you're you're jumping into lots of trainings. You you did the MBSR, which is uh, just for folks who aren't familiar, it's mindfulness-based stress reduction. And you're, you did a 200-hour yoga teacher training. I know at some point... I guess I pull, did I pull you in to do the trauma informed training? Yeah, but it was I don't remember exactly what time period that was, but we definitely had even a couple workshops around yoga philosophy by that yeah. time and yeah, then the the nudge to Yeah, do the yeah. I I don't want to underestimate or under speak to that at, at Land Yoga at that time it wasn't you know we were we were doing asana but we were doing a lot of yoga philosophy as well. Know, really embracing the eight limbs of yoga. And I always saw something in you. Maybe it was that the natural curiosity and your enthusiasm and you're showing up at six in the morning before going to teach. And um, I know that I just really wanted you to become one of the trauma-informed teachers at Three and a Half Acres Yoga. And I feel like I remember just wanting you to do that training and that you did. And you've been teaching some some classes for us at the nonprofit. I mean, maybe you can share just a little bit about that that training and what that did for you as far as your development. Absolutely. So that that particular training was really interesting because up until that point, I had never considered yoga being accessible from a chair, for example. And so to take a practice sort of grounded in the Ashtanga method and being able to see how it can really take form to to accommodate from anywhere is really, really powerful. And so having the opportunity to, to go through that training and at that time it was, I, I think it might've been the first one that was virtual. Oh yeah. That was interesting because it also opened my eyes to a sense of community in a virtual space because over that weekend I feel like those of us who were in the training we grew together to a certain degree of comfortability being able to share our experiences because we were all coming from different levels of experience and different expertise so it was really enlightening from that perspective as well so in the sense of what it means to or what's possible to grow community and also what's possible for the person who automatically looks at someone do say a single sun salutation and they're like, um, no, I can't do that. So like, all right, well, you're sitting in a chair right now. 
how about this? So that was that was really cool from a training perspective. I love that. Yeah, go and, on. And I also like the fact that, like I said, you can see the parallels between kind of this, it's almost like an evolution. I'm not making it any less than or greater than, say, a standing practice. But again, it just shows kind of growth or evolution over time. I love that. I mean, you said so many good things there. I'm just thinking about how a lot of people aren't sure if they can build community within a a virtual setting. And I'm so Mm. glad that that was your experience. I know we spend a lot of time. I mean, that was actually can't remember exactly the training because they kind of blur. But I know that in recent years, I spent a lot of time on introductions and people getting to know each other, going around, really setting why they're there, what's their background. Now that we're more familiar with Zoom, that was probably like the beginning of the pandemic that we went. Yeah. Yes. You know, we have practice groups and breakout rooms and actually find that it works really well, if not like better, because as you know, we don't, we don't use any physical adjustments. So there's nothing that you need to be in that same room for, and you can meet people from all over, which is really cool that you wouldn't have gotten to meet. And I love that chair yoga has really resonated with you. I think that's so cool, you know, especially because like you're good with your body, you're physical, you taught us. What did you teach us in the park? Uh, Capoeira. So, you know, a lot of people think chair yoga is like kind of, well, if you can't do anything else, you know, and it is great if you, you can't get up and down from the mat or you don't want to, you know, it can be very challenging. It just creates a lot of a, a whole new playing field. And I know that you see it that way. You've certainly like taken the structure of the training and like you said at the beginning, built on it, you know, your own, through your own curiosity. And some of that we put in the book that's coming out, (laughs) The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga. And not going to share too much because we want people to grab their own copy, but Timothy, one of your stories is in there about teaching your mom and it's very powerful. And a lot of really interesting postures and use of the block are in there that I think are very creative, Timothy, really, really cool and creative and um, different than folks might find in just like, you know, Googling chair yoga. So I think they'll enjoy to see your spin on things. And then, you know, that was a lot of fun. Also directly related to, to something you were saying about the sort of idea behind who would do chair yoga? Why would someone do it? And related to some of the work with Three and a Half Acres, in one of the sort of corporate spaces, we were having a conversation around habits and showing up to some of these spaces and feeling really good and knowing that, you know, this is what you need and to have the desire to set up a practice, but then getting lost in the how. And so in one of the sessions, we were doing a mindful movement and the invitation was to shift the idea of what do I have to do versus what do I get to do? And this was directly related to around New Year's where, you know, the the resolutions are are so all over the place and everyone has the the New Year's resolution to to get into the gym. and, And so sometimes even from that chair, it starts to get the momentum going. And that is you know, irregardless of whether a person is super fit and, you know, can do jump backs and jump throughs and all this fun stuff. But 
again, doing the most with what you have. And so from the chair that you're sitting in, you have the potential to, you know, direct awareness, to generate certain momentum towards movement that over time could grow to Mm, so much more. That's a good point in the corporate setting and or in our homes now where many of us have moved to work and we don't move all day. We don't have any reason to commute anywhere and get up and down to recognize just a few minutes of movement in the chair can shift things so much. Yeah, that's really powerful. And Timothy, you've been teaching for three and a half acres yoga. I wonder if you might share a little bit about the chair yoga that you're teaching at at St. Mary's. Yeah. So the St. Mary's Community Church in Harlem, we have a weekly chair yoga class that is open to the community. And in this space, you know, we get together every Saturday and connect to breath, connect to movement, create community within each other. Uh, and that has been really fun because we never know who's going to show up. Um so it's directly across the street from a police precinct. And, you know, we we try and kind of put the nudge out there like, hey, come join this chair yoga class. <laughs> so we're always looking to to build community there. Uh, and they have a beautiful, beautiful outdoor garden space, which now that we're heading into spring, that we're going to do some more classes out there. So. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and it's really fun, too, because, you know, for myself. It's in this sacred space that in the past, I didn't necessarily feel encouraged to pursue something mm, like yoga, yes. if that makes sense. So I'm sitting around surrounded by so many uh, symbols and, and ideologies that could be restrictive, but in this space, it just becomes all about breath, all about movement, nothing else. That's really powerful. I'm just, I'm taking that in because it's really about like re redefining, you know, what that space could be for you. And then I know you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're not alone and folks that have different feelings when different symbols come up. So that's powerful that you're for there. Sure. I've been looking a lot at the St. Mary's website and Instagram because of the special event that we're going to have there. And they do seem to be a very open, inclusive mission there which is helpful. It's beautiful. It's It's Um, really beautiful. Yeah. We talk about it often about how to sort of make that more accessible because, I mean, they have all types of community events, health fairs, and allow for meetings to happen in that space. Uh, We've been sitting in class sometimes and some of the the tours through Harlem actually come in Mm. to that space. And so... I've witnessed it firsthand about how dynamic that community is. And that's on 126th Street um, on the west side. And you're teaching there Saturdays? Saturdays, 2.30 to 3.30. Some beautiful chair yoga. So anyone can can walk on into that. All people are welcome. Right, Tim? Yes, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't absolutely. sure if you wanted to add to that. Absolutely. Um, but uh, we wanted to get that out there, that folks that are in the area should come and, and check that out. And then we are having an event there for the book. It's for Three and a Half Acres Yoga supporters. So f- for our partners and teachers and supporters who have kept our work at Three and a Half Acres Yoga going. So, you know, folks who have donated over the years to keep these classes 
going. So, um, and you will be there. Maybe you'll say a few words and we'll show off uh, your pages in the book. So if folks want to meet you, maybe, you know, we'll link three and a half acres yoga. Maybe uh, if, if folks want to make any level donation of support, we'll send them that link. So that might be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So kind of hopping back on to this kind of uh train of your life, Timothy, you're <laughs> we, we got you now at three and a half acres yoga nonprofit. And I really uh, love for listeners to hear about your shift out of teaching because for a number of reasons, you know, it's hard for people to leave kind of a, the comfort of a, a job like that. Um, so I think that's interesting. And just hearing more about, you know, that process and then what, and what you're doing now. So it's interesting because I find that kind of locked in this space of, like you were saying earlier about this, like perfect timing and, or a perfect reason or like the reason why something happened. And so when I reflect on my time as a classroom teacher, I can identify a number of, you know, these sort of red flag moments that by no means do I regret that they happened and I can acknowledge where I learned from them while at the same time acknowledging that, you know, those were opportunities for me to, to grow. I'll give you an example. So there was a point in time where I invited one of my coworkers to one of my Capoeira events and it was on the weekend and she came to the event and had a good time. The next Monday, we went into the building and she stopped me and she said, what are you doing here? And I said, I, what do you mean? I'm like, I work here. I'm a teacher. And she's like, yeah, but there's so much more. And so this was, this was again, just one of these moments for me that gave me pause that someone saw something that I didn't necessarily see in myself. And this is, again, not to negate or belittle the work that I was doing, because to me, teaching is of the highest caliber. I mean, everyone passes through the hands of a teacher. You know, that is a calling of mine, but it didn't have to be in the way or in the space that it was happening. You mentioned earlier about just some general frustrations um, around the, the system in general. And one of them for me had always been around grades. And I remember a time during virtual learning when so many things were shifting. You know, we would start the school day and literally there were upwards of 10 emails of things that changed just rapidly, just continuing to change, continuing to change. And at that point, the Department of Education had come down and said, okay, we're doing away with grades. Everything is pass-fail. And so, you know, regardless of whether you were in the middle of a project or you had just given an exam or you were thinking about giving an exam, that was the sort of the, you know, the rule of the day. There were no grades. And so we were sitting in a department meeting and, you know, everyone's kind of in a uh, frantic. And I just kind of sat back and I was listening and I had this thought come up in my head and I'm like, this is what you've always wanted. And as I had that realization, I also had this moment where, you know, I said to myself, like this idea of being locked this or fixed in this 
particular space, doing it this way. I'm like, the gate is wide open. Like, <laughs> you have choices. And so from there, it was taking super, super small steps. We often hear about people taking a leap of faith. And at this point, I would definitely describe myself as having taken a leap of faith, but it definitely started off as like tiptoeing out of this shadow and being completely afraid (laughs) at that time. And, you know, still moments of, of uncertainty coming up. But the bigger thing again is I like to ask myself, who can I become by way of doing, you know, insert thing here? And so again, that, that curiosity kind of drives me to, to try. That's also something that I find to be kind of resonant in the, the physical yoga practice because there were always things that I couldn't necessarily do, but whether it be through your encouragement or the, the encouragement that the method presented, it was always like, well, just try this or, huh. And so that for me was really important in making this transition because I don't do very well with regret. (laughs) And so that's been a, a big thing for me. And so as I shift out of the classroom, I take all of that with me. I take the the skills, the experience, and again, they've been many because teaching, especially in New York City, afforded me so many opportunities, whether that was in in the type of people that I worked with, the types of experiences that I had the opportunity to do. And so, again, all of those things become a part of my sort of toolkit. And so in the space where I am now, I'm able to still take deep knowledge of, of science and to bring that into the, the, the coaching space. And so today, as a, a coach, I work specifically in the realm of mindfulness, and really it's a a mission to help spread the practices, but within the context of what's possible for each individual. And so I truly believe that as we get to better understand ourselves, which essentially is biology, that we can begin to incorporate, again, these practices that are most ideal for us. So how does that look like to work with you? What does it look like? It's interesting because so so on one end, coaching for me, it happens in a one-on-one space. I enjoy to work with individuals. So for some of my individual one-on-one clients, that looks like kind of just talking through what it is where we are and then ultimately where it is that an individual is trying to go. And then my role as, you know, kind of this guide or, or coach is to, to bring in a different perspective of what's possible. Teaching also really afforded me an opportunity to be comfortable creating community. So I also am developing programs in group. And I really like that because there's so much, like you were saying earlier, about the power of community. Oftentimes, community really helps us to appreciate our shared experience. And so within you know, some aspects of, of my mindfulness coaching, it's not me telling the group what to do, but seeing what comes out of you know, the group as we continue to build. 
I also teach yoga. <laughs> and so yoga very much for me is a part of that practice in mindfulness. I find that sometimes the lines get blurred that you know, a person hears mindfulness and they automatically think that it's sitting in a particular posture, that it's taking, you know, an hour of their time when they probably don't have it or they don't see it. And so there's this evolution happening because as we're talking about this, like this is very much, you know, an evolution. And so finding unique ways to introduce people to mindfulness practices even if it means not necessarily using mm. the word. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of play and experimenting. And what I'm finding are these opportunities to work with really young adults, you know, kind of, and this could be a, a matter of the experience that I had as a, as a teacher, but, you know, we are now in a world that none of us have experienced before post-pandemic of things being online and just the way that we do things. And so really the need for thinking differently. Mm. And so I'm really inspired by opportunities to to connect with, with all people, but who I really sort of gravitate towards the really open ways of thinking of young people, primarily kind of young, mm. young adults. So how how do you find them or how are they finding you? What are the kind of main issues that you're seeing. And then maybe you can give us one or two simple practices that we might take away with us. Sure. So uncertainty, that's a a big one. And when I say uncertainty, it's not that it exists, more so it's our relationship to it. And so for what I'm seeing with, with young people, especially in regards to uncertainty, are sort of these spaces of being around people that may not necessarily be uh, content with what they're doing or where they are, and at the same time, not being willing to take a small step just because of the uncertainty. When if we reframe our relationship to uncertainty and we consider that everything that is was once unknown then it's like, wait a minute, there might be something mm. there. And so that's a that's a big thing, uncertainty. The other one I would say is motivation, like the the drive to to do something. I would say that the amount of just kind of passive bring it to me <laughs> is something that has been really enlightening to hear people's experience. You know, we live in a, a time that Things are fast and things happen really, really quickly. And so really developing kind of a, a resolve for patients, being able to wait it out, being able to kind of go towards what it is as opposed to this idea of like, you dial Uber, the car comes. Uber eats, your food comes. You, <laughs> you can order groceries and they come. You don't have to go to the grocery store. And so move out here to the country with me. <laughs> Oh, you got a quick wake up. (laughs) Not even a bodega across the street. I have to pick up my takeout. What's the fun of that? I thought that was so I could stay in my pajamas. (laughs) And there's a time and there's definitely, you know, a time and that's a beautiful thing. But yeah, I, I do believe that, you know, that that kind of attitude of 
you know, what it means to be a, a go giver. Mm. I'm not going to say a go getter because the mm. go getter is that can be really exhausting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. And you are a giver. You really oh, are. You. you know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. And I think those are, that was, that was eye opening for me to just get a sense of, yeah, where people are at right now. And I agree. Those are two of the biggest challenges. I know that you're always, one of the things you're about is, is like helping to demystify some of the practices and, you know, help folks to have a, just more ease in life, incorporating some simple practices that don't take an hour. And I wonder if there is something you might give our listeners as far as a a practice. Yeah. So one that I really enjoy is, again, this is one that I continue to come back to and just refine each time that I'm able to lead it is one of just kind of noticing the space where a person or individual is and just really taking a pause and just noticing where your eyes go to, just being present to literally the space that you're in. And so it really helps to ground in the present moment because naturally what happens, thoughts start to come up. You know, you're sitting in your kitchen and all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's a dust bunny on the floor or, oh, I forgot to wash that dish. And so you can start to see these things coming up and then make a choice of sort of just existing in a you know neutral space. You see them come up, but you don't have to react to them in the moment. So this idea of grounding in the present moment by just using the sense of sight is, is a practice that I really like. I was actually talking to my mom one time. She called and she said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm looking at the ducks. And she's like, okay. <laughs> but literally I was just, you know, just being in that moment and scanning the space, looking around. And so I think this is a practice that is accessible, you know, whether you're on a bus or a train, whether you're sitting in your office or waiting in a in an office there's the opportunity to literally just allow your sense of sight to take in what's being experienced in the moment. Yeah. And our, our sense of sight is, um, you know, if, if, if that sense is available is usually the one that, you Absolutely. know, we're drawn to. And so we might as well use it because we all know how we can be in a space and not really be there. Absolutely. So just taking Absolutely. note, texture, what's here with me right now, looking behind fantastic orienting practice and very grounding for our nervous system. Such a good one. Tim, if people want to learn more from you or receive your coaching, how how would they find you? So the best way to find me at this point, I am active on both Instagram and also LinkedIn. On Instagram, I am mindfulness with Timothy. And then on Instagram, I mean on LinkedIn, I think the best way is probably just by my name. The website is soon to come, very much a work in progress and really looking forward to, to also putting that out there as well. I was going to say, don't wait too long. Maybe it'll be uh, up by the time we get this out. And if people want to meet you, which they should, and if they're in the area, they should come take a class at St. Mary's on Saturdays um, or come for a special event and they can learn a lot from you just in the pages of the Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga coming out and hear a very, very special story that I'm saving about your practice with your mom 
that really supported her during a very, very difficult time in the pandemic. Timothy, before we hit record, you said some words to the effect of like, that's where I'm still growing right now or some things I'm working on. Tell us, what's your edge right now? And what are, where are you stretching yourself? Where, what are you kind of working on right now? Yeah, so I am, there's um, a saying that really resonates with me right now. Uh, and it comes up a lot in the content that I create, but also just in my everyday life. And it's all practice. And so I think about this a lot in the context of where I am currently in my life because, you know, stepping into uh, new spaces and doing things in different ways, in some ways, very unconventional than I had ever known in the past. I'm reminded of not only how much I embrace practice, but need to kind of go towards it. And so a, a mentor of mine offered this sort of idea that, you know, you should constantly seek OSM moments. And that's O-S-H, sugar, honey, iced tea moments. Um, <laughs> or these moments in life that make you say that. <laughs> and so one of the ways that I'm doing that now is actually in communicating. Communication in being able to deliver, a, you know, a concise message. In the past, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of myself as an effective communicator. And so one of the things that I do now is I work to practice and stretch myself. Sometimes that means recording voice memos to myself, or it's definitely been an area of growth for me to show my face on camera. You know, this is one of those areas where I recognize I continue need to, I continually need to sort of expand my willingness to be in that space even if it's a space of discomfort or see something about myself that I don't necessarily like. And so taking these opportunities, not only to communicate in that way, but also to be on camera. Like I mentioned before, I had big eyes for the city and that's what brought me to New York City. But when I moved here, I very much got into kind of this very small-minded way of being. And so I stretch myself these days also by taking more shots, taking more shots to speak to more people, to meet more people, to be in, again, corporate spaces that I would not have necessarily been in. <laughs> I had the opportunity recently to do some work at uh, a consulate, for example, and being in that space was, I mean, I, the entire time that I'm in there, I'm just in my head like, whoa, like this is... <laughs> so stretching myself by putting myself out there, being in new spaces, taking risks, having fun, and finding the play and embracing the practice. Mm, those are great words. I think a beautiful way to end. Is there anything that I didn't ask you today that I should have asked you, Timothy? Um, no, nothing comes up. I think you dropped some beautiful gems for us. It's all practice and staying in the practice. I'm taking that with me and I'm looking forward to seeing you in person. Yes, I am super excited. With more chances to grow and collaborate together. Thanks for spending this time with me. Thanks for having me. As we buzz around the busy world, it becomes clear there are billions of paths. 
As we buzz around the busy world And we will appear in other people's photographs As we speed through the centuries We will collide and the light will bend We will be accidentally immortalized In someone else's land